Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And I am pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters, RIP to Arrivo and the Hyperloop in Colorado. Oh, it's so sad. You know what's so funny about this is that we did that story back in November. Yes. Four months ago. Yep. When we knew that Arrivo was dead on Arrivo. Yes. And we did the whole story. And for some reason, our our friends down there at Channel 9 decided to run the story on Monday. Well, what's funny about our friends at Channel 9 is that they understand something that we here at Channel 7 are only beginning to grasp, which is that news viewers rarely watch the news. And so (laughs) if you run something in October that flies under the radar... People will forget about it by February, and you can just throw it back out there with more bells and whistles, and people will think they're getting fresh news. And somebody walking out in a field. Now, the interesting part to me is that this morning, we actually did a story the exact same thing. We mentioned the exact same story. And I said, this story was from Channel 9 a couple of days ago. And the producer for the morning show, one of them, said, no, this was a Westward story. I said, well, Westward got it from Channel 9 from the day before because Westward, Michael Roberts, he posted it yesterday morning at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock. Got it from Channel 9. And it was basically the exact same story. And then we lifted it from Westward. So we're... Check your sources, folks. Check your sources. It's so frustrating sometimes. And we did that four months ago here on this show. We are very highly topical on this, the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. The ahead of the curve Driving You Crazy podcast. Way ahead. Yep. I mean, we are so far ahead. It was the, like Randy Johnson throwing you a curveball, but it's coming in at like 20 miles an hour, and you can just sit there and wait and then crank it over the left field fence. So less like Randy Johnson throwing a curveball and more like one of us throwing a curveball. Exactly. Okay. Something just like that. Well, we have a couple of guests today. We, in just a little bit, will speak with Gas Buddies Patrick DeHaan. He is going to be talking about how important gasoline is to our daily lives. Obviously, it's important to most of us for our daily lives. Um, They did a whole study about it, and there are some interesting findings that came out of this study. We'll also talk to Patrick about where he thinks gas prices are going to be going from here in the next, you know, three or six or months or a year or something like that. So we'll ask him all those questions, and then later in the show... Uh, right after uh, Patrick, we'll talk with Skylar McKinley from AAA Colorado about an interesting story he sent over to me, and he was talking all about the safety technology in these newer cars because they all have different names, and some of them are crazy. And there's like some of the same technology when we know what a seatbelt is, but some companies call seatbelts different things and cruise control different things and automatic brakes different things, and, and we have no idea what they're talking about. What company calls the seatbelt something different? Uh, the uh, I don't know. How, sorry to put you on the spot like that. I don't like, know. What, I, what you know I'm you... looking. I was looking through the thing. Here, where's my where's what, my paper? What would you call a seatbelt if you weren't calling it a seatbelt? A safety restraint device. There we go. Okay. So I mean, there are ways you can yeah. change names of about anything. A dynamic safety restraint. Device. I mean, it's not toilet paper. It's toilet tissue, or mm. it's bathroom tissue, or it's. I mean, what? There's you know. Yeah. Tissue. Just tissue. And, and these people make up names from these marketing departments because they want to be all fancy, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a problem because we have no idea what the heck you're talking about. Not fancy. Anyway, Skyler will sort it all out for us. But uh, first, I wanted to introduce you to a person who's trying to stick it to the man. His name is Dave Osman. And he wants his name, his last name specifically, on his license plate. 
But the provincial Saskatchewan government says no because he called his name an unacceptable slogan. You see, even though his last name is pronounced Osman, it is spelled A-S-S-M-A-N, and it looks like it would be pronounced Assman. Dave says of his German name, he says, it's my last name. I've always (laughs) had it. I'm not ashamed of it. There's nothing bad about it. But more than 3,000 vanity plates have been rejected in Saskatchewan because of the general public that might find them offensive, suggestive, or not in good taste. And apparently they thought that having Ashman on the back of a car on a license plate was not in good taste. So Dave asked for an explanation on why his name was rejected. He was told that it could be misread and could cause offense. And he said he chalked that answer up to too many hurt feelings. So Dave took matters into his own hands, as people who are slighted sometimes do. And Dave is sticking it to the man by sticking it to the back of his truck. Since he was turned down, he immortalized his last name on the back of his truck with a large decal that looks like a giant Saskatchewan license plate that reads A-S-S-M-A-N. So he has his regular license plate, and then on the whole back of the tailgate, the whole thing. I mean, it's a really big decal sticker, A-S-S-M-A-N. Dave says he would still like the license plate, but he's happy with the decal for now. The Saskatchewan government responded to the whole situation on Twitter and kept it short and sweet, saying, all's well that ends well. Which I think they could have. Okay, there you go. You get it, ends well, because he's the... The Osman. The Osman. Uh, it reminds me of that classic Seinfeld episode where Kramer got the license plate of a proctologist by mistake who also had the name Assman. <laughs> and he was getting his own personalized plate, and everybody was, you know, hey, it's the Assman. Hey, it's, it was a really funny episode. He had to give eventually the license plate back to the to the proper owner. Um but the the name Osman has some proud history. It means warrior of the spear, man of the os. So I I, I understand why he takes such pride in it. Is yes. what I'm trying to say. Exactly. So even though everybody sees one thing, it means something else also, in a whole different language and culture. Yeah, he knows he knows damn well what it means. Well, of course he does. He's known what it meant his entire life. And he's loved it. Yes. And now he's getting old, frankly, and decided, you know what? <laughs> let, let's, let's just do this. Why not? <laughs> because I got nothing else to go for. Right. And he's having a midlife crisis. I've got money. I've got a truck. Why don't I put my last name on the back of it? I've thought about getting my own personalized plate. I, I wanted something like Traffic Guy <laughs> or uh, something like that. But it never really went past just thinking about it. Uh, my uh, The guy I used to fly with who was the pilot for our helicopter, even though we, we were flying for KOA Radio and Channel 9, he had uh, Guy 9 pilot. It was Sky, the number 9, and then pilot. Why not air tracker pilot? Because he we were flying, because when I was working at KOA, we were partnered with Channel 9 at that point. Oh, that was back in the multiple helicopter days. Well, no, I was in the, in the... Well, we always had the partnership with radio of some sort because... Well, no, we, when I was doing radio first, when I first started doing the helicopter, we actually were partnered with Channel 4. And then we dropped that partnership and went with Channel 9. And then we picked up 
Chan- because Channel Nine kept plunking helicopters into the ground, so they couldn't they couldn't afford to have their own helicopter. Mm. And so eventually, they were able to jump on piggyback on uh, the radio helicopter because then they didn't have to worry about insurance. We just had a bigger helicopter. They paid half the freight. And we put a camera on it and got a new can, and they did the whole thing. And then uh, when I left there and came here, we had our own helicopter, the Air Tracker Seven deal. I want to point out for our listeners that does mean there was a time when a radio station paid a helicopter to tell people about traffic, and the helicopter didn't even take pictures. It just—it was just a guy in a helicopter telling you what was going on, and you had to actually listen to it. Well, even more so than that, we used to have. A, so Jefferson Pilot, the radio stations, the radio station groups for Jefferson Pilot, KYGO was one of their deals, a uh, big country radio station here in Denver. They had their own airplane that would fly around and do just their radio stations. And then Metro Traffic, which was before, you know, before we had uh, some of the traffic company consolidations, Metro Traffic used to have their own airplane as well. And then this guy, Jim Todd, used to fly around. So we used to have Metro Traffic, Jefferson Pilot, KOA, Channel 9, Channel 7, Fox 31, and the Denver Police, uh, all about seven aircrafts flying over similar incidents at the same exact time, which is inherently dangerous. I am in on Channel 7 buying its own plane for these situations. We can call it the Denver 747. That's perfect. There and it doesn't go. have to be a 47. No. No, sir. Uh, yeah. Nice to reminisce about the good old days when uh, landlines and... <laughs> radio were popular things. <laughs> radio is not dead just yet. I didn't say but that. It is going Ra- away. Landlines aren't dead yet either. For that, no, matter. not quite. So I, you know, New York City streets, they have their own soundtrack. This is what typically they sound like. It's only a touch annoying, isn't it? But it happens all the time. It really perks you up. I mean, they're loud. They're annoying. But they need to be to get our attention. But they, do, do you think they need to be so high-pitched? I mean, honestly, Jason, I've lived a block away from the hospital for so long that this does not bother me that much. You would be amazed at how many ambulances I hear in the middle of the night. Well, there's a bill. I, I bring this up because there's a bill before the New York City Council that would require that all sirens transition over a two-year period to alternating high and low two-toned signals. It'd be very similar to those used in many European countries, like this. They just sound so wimpy, don't they? Yeah, I, I kind of appreciate it, actually. You like that better? Yeah. You like yeah, you would rather hear that? I would rather not hear either of them, but if I had to pick, it would be this one. Well, Mount Sinai Ambulances, the hospital there in uh, New York, they already use that new siren sound. So now there are multiple different types of sounds in New York City that you would hear. And if you do any YouTube searches or Google searches for sounds from New York City, uh, police cars, ambulance, fire trucks, you'll get, you'll get the videos and you'll hear how annoying those sounds can be. And, and, they, and they are, they're really loud. I mean, they get and the, and the police and the fire department get really aggressive on their horns yep. because they're trying to cut through the traffic. Now, the sponsor of the bill in New York City says the Euro-style sirens have been found, at least according to her, to be as effective as the current New York City sirens, but not as horrible on the ears. Well, then, yes, we should do that. Now, I can tell you from personal experience, I, I do not recommend ever getting a hotel room in New York City that happens to be located over a New York City fire station. 
You'll be up all night long hearing that siren sound all night long. Earplugs. You know, I thought it was odd when I we go into the room, check into this room, and they have earplugs next to the bed. Here's your sign. And I'm thinking, what? what's this? Yeah. Oh, that's what they're for. Yeah. Because you're over a New York City firehouse, and they were going all the time. It is really a horrible sound. And then, if you've ever been in New York City, when they have any kind of event, you know, it's always crowded in Manhattan. Right. And these folks are uh, in the police cars or in the in the fire trucks are trying to get through the traffic, and they are blaring on their awful, huge, ho- sounding horns. It, it is really, uh, I, I guess, a, a lot of New Yorkers. Maybe they get used to it over time. I would think so. Yeah, or the earplug situation, or you just go deaf. I mean, take your pick. One of the three will work for you. Because you got to figure the decibel level is off the charts, uh-huh. right? So, I'm not a big fan of that European sound. I, I still think it should stay in Europe because it's European. It's not American. Well, I want American sirens on American fire trucks. Right? Or no? I, I feel I'm like not, this is I'm among not, your worst opinions. I'm not going to lie. You, you want the European sound? This is the equivalent of being like, I don't want to change from the old light bulbs to the new light bulbs because the old light bulbs burn better. I like, like the old light bulb. It's a light, man. It's a no, siren, it's not. man. I used to have watts, and now I have lumens. I want to go back to watts. <laughs> I love the watts. I know what a 100-watt light bulb is. Mm. I don't know what a lumen is. Well, educate yourself. Look, I'm, I look at the thing, and I see this thing has this many cool lumens, and that. I don't want to. I want to go back to the watts. Love the watts. Mm. I imagine, though, if you ask any emergency uh, responder there, that they would say that the drivers in New York City are so oblivious to what they're trying to do and get through traffic and, and aren't paying attention that the sirens are are ignored anyway. So it doesn't matter what they sound like, whether it's a European siren or a, a, a Australian siren or a Asian siren or South American siren, wherever your sirens are from, I don't think people are paying attention to them. Right. Right. So let's have the chill one instead of the obnoxious one. So if we're just going to ignore it, we might as well have the nice, calm one. And yeah. how, about, how about this? Have a siren that says, would you please get out of the way? Yeah, that would get my attention. You think so? Yeah, somebody yelling at you. Maybe not like a nice voice, but like a man's voice. An annoying, obnoxious man's voice like Steve Buscemi yelling at you to get out of the way. Do you know New York police actually had to install some device on some of their cars in, in a neighborhood that, that people were not paying attention? It would actually send out an, uh, like an, uh, a, a pulse uh, this this you, you could feel it it's a like a non-audible low you know if you hear the yeah, low I, decibel yeah, you, you can yeah. feel it right yeah they have that in in the front of their cars and it's sending out these pulses that you can feel so now you know the car is there and and you're because you're completely ignoring all the sirens or you have your earbuds or your headphones or your whatever on and, and you're just completely ignoring them the first time somebody gets pulse and jerks their steering wheel and crashes into a uh you know, the side of the road or a building or something. I can't wait to see how that lawsuit goes. We probably should not be, like, making people feel things in their body as they're driving. Well, they have to get their attention somehow. I still am not a fan of the Euro siren. No, we should just put machine guns on police cars, and that way <laughs> they can make sure well, you get out of the damn way. Maybe a sound of a machine gun. How about the, <laughs> the sound of World War II, and then that would make people move out of the way? Yeah. Maybe annoying sounds. How about a jet engine? Yeah. Something that's completely obnoxious that is that is so unusual that people go, what? 
What is that? You know what people respond to, too? Are low-flying jets. Everybody always hears of airplane or uh, a jet, and they're looking up in the sky, and they're looking for it, right? Always. So maybe the sirens should be replaced with jet sounds. I'm trying to help out. I, I, I see where you're going. Uh, patent it. You think so? Yeah. YOLO. Why not? Yeah. Or the train. How about the train horns? No. No? no, no I like I mean, the train horns. I, I, I think we're going in two different directions, man. You're going for louder and more obnoxious. I'm going for quieter and less obnoxious. No, I'm going for more obnoxious. Get out of the way. And that way, maybe the si- siren wouldn't be heard as long because the emergency vehicle has already moved on and everybody's gotten out of the way. I'm thinking shorter duration, more obnoxious, mm. rather than less obnoxious, longer duration. Yeah, I, I think I think I have something here. Okay. All right. Anyway, on a completely different topic, we're hearing a lot about alternative energy and battery-powered cars. That is great and will eventually take over, I'm sure. But right now, in today's world, gasoline power is still the way we get around. The gas price website GasBuddy just released a study that shows that Americans feel that gasoline is more important than health care and they would choose free gas over free money. To talk more about this, we invited the guru of Gas Buddy, Patrick DeHaan, who is the head of the Petroleum Analysis Unit there for Gas Buddy, to be on the show. Patrick, thanks for being here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. No, thanks for having me. So, Patrick, uh, this Gas Buddy consumer sediment study shows how dependent Americans are on gasoline, but it also shows that we're more frustrated by fuel purchases than ever before. So, why are we so frustrated? Well, a lot of it is the volatility behind gasoline. It's really hard to budget for something that changes in price from day to day, week to week, month to month. A lot of us are sick of it, but we all need it. 86% of those in our survey said they relied on gasoline. I do too. Maybe you do as well. So a lot of us reliant on gasoline. And it's one of those things that we just can't control. That's probably why it drives us near mad. In fact, 40% of people said that gas prices affect their mood. I would certainly agree. Now, as you said in your study, 86% of Americans depend on gasoline for their everyday lives. Now, I think that actually that that number would have been down than in previous years with all the new urban residents in cities like Denver in Nashville, where so many people are moving into a, a, an urban core. I would think that that number would continue to fall as more people are trying to use transit or walking or, or living in more densely packed urban areas. Well, you'd think so. And, and looking at Tesla's recent numbers, for example, they said they manufactured and sold 250,000 vehicles. Um, we'll take that and, and compare it to gasoline demand that would replace those electric cars, and it amounts to a very slim, less than a percentage point of total U.S. gasoline demand. So even a quarter of a million cars, uh, EVs being added to the road, barely puts a dent on how much gasoline we're consuming. And that's probably why most of us can't really even afford, you know, brand new shiny car, uh, let alone have it be electric. So a lot of us still reliant on the fossil fuels, the gasoline uh, to power our lives. You know, and you mentioned this just a moment ago, and it was one part of the study that I found especially interesting that 40% of people say that gas prices affect their mood. I I imagine that higher prices would uh, equal worse mood. Yeah, exactly. The higher they go, the 
more angry I guess we tend to become, especially when they hit record prices. And even now, when gas prices are relatively low, at least from my analyst perspective, even now, two-thirds of Americans are close to think that what we're seeing now are too high. So I can only imagine that as prices go up in the spring, how much more upsetting that's going to be for motorists to fill their tank. And, you know, I thought it was surprising as well that when given the choice that respondents to the survey would rather receive a free fill-up than find $20 cash on the street or get their dinner bill paid for. I, I don't know about you, but when I go out to dinner with my family, I mean, my kids, are, they're, they're eating like crazy, and I would <laughs> rather have somebody pay my dinner bill than fill up my tank of gas. Yeah, that's right. Well, maybe that's a testament to a lot of us do going out to fast casual and, and maybe driving around, you know, a, the equivalent of a tank and having a big gasoline bill. Maybe a lot of us are just comparing dollars and cents. And most of us, I mean, 20 bucks, I'd rather have a fill up too, because I know my tank is going to swallow a lot more than $20 in gasoline. So one part of the study showed that it's tough for families to budget for fluctuating gas prices. Where do you see gas prices going in the next month, in the next three months, six months, year down the road? Well, where we are today, still some prices under $2 in Metro Denver, and this may be as good as it gets. In fact, we may already uh, be behind the best times of the year. I see gas prices going up anywhere from 25 to 35 cents a gallon by Memorial Day, and that's just due to the normal seasonality of gasoline. Prices spring forward in the spring, just like they fall in the fall, and prices by the summer could be in the mid and upper $2 a gallon range. So not a whole lot of great news, but if you compare that to, say, 2011 through 2014, when prices were well over $3 a gallon, we're still doing reasonably well. We're speaking with Patrick DeHaan. He's the head of petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy. Well, and Patrick, I mean, you know so many people have those memories of 2011 and 2014 fresh <laughs> in their mind, right? And so every time I look at the gas prices now, and to your point, you see $1.88 a gallon, $1.81 a gallon in Metro Denver. And I look at that and I'm like, it's just going to be over $3 again. So when is that going to happen to us here in Denver? And is it going to stay well, above you know, $3 when it gets there? Well, it may not. You know, the, the shale revolution certainly is something that is not going to fin uh, finish up anytime soon from what it looks like. Of course, we have some geopolitical tensions, OPEC's cut production, but the fact that the U.S. is now the world's largest oil producer may help mitigate high prices and keep prices at least lower, certainly not under $2 anymore. Uh, but um, that may help keep prices under $3 a gallon for maybe, you know, through this year. We may see a couple $3 here and there, uh, especially depending on the way the economy goes, the U.S. and China trade war goes. Um, we could see $3, but it probably will be less time under $3 than over. I think that's almost a guarantee at this point. And uh, bouncing off of uh, Joseph's question there, half of the respondents to your survey said the gas prices actually help people assess where the economy is. And I thought mm -hmm. that was pretty interesting because as gas prices rise, maybe they think the economy isn't doing so well. The economy right now is going pretty well with the lower gas prices. So maybe any change, do you think that's going to change the way we view the economy? Well, that's an interesting perspective because as gas prices go up, usually that means there's a strong economy. More people are filling their tanks. They have disposable income. They're taking vacations because clearly 86% of us depend on gasoline for everyday lives. And if our lives get better, if the economy is doing better, we generally consume more. So usually motors have it backwards. That is low gas prices. Think of the recession back in 2009 when prices plummeted. Low gas prices usually mean a weaker economy. So we have to try and change our perspective 
high gas prices, nobody likes to pay them, but they generally mean the economy is doing better. Now, I've used GasBuddy, the app, and also the website a bunch of times in the past, and I and I use it uh, really all the time during my work uh, to find the lower prices and, and give those to the, the people out there. And routinely, I see stores like Sam's Club or Costco or some of these independent stations that have the lowest prices. Aren't these stations getting the same gas as the Shell or the mobile station? How do they keep the prices so much lower than, than the big brand name places? Well, a lot of it comes down to timing. Sometimes it's the same gasoline, sometimes it's not. Some of the big names, the BPs, the Mobiles, the uh, ConocoPhillips, all these names generally have first dibs on gasoline, so to speak, and oil companies usually charge them a couple more cents, but they're guaranteed supply. The independents kind of buy the leftovers, not that they're any worse off, but uh, once the uh, the oil companies are done selling to their stations, whatever's left over is kind of sold on the open market. So sometimes it can be the same gasoline. Uh, sometimes, too, the wholesale clubs may offer gasoline at a lower margin, meaning they're not making any money on it because they want you to get into their wholesale clubs and buy 50 rolls of toilet paper. Who knows? So they sometimes use gasoline as a loss leader. Uh, but yeah, you know, you look at this and timing, like I said, when prices are volatile, wholesale gas prices could go up or down 10, 15, 20 cents a gallon in one day on the extreme side. So if you buy gasoline today and say there's some sort of refinery outage, the wholesale price could soar 20 cents a gallon tomorrow. And if you bought it cheaper, you can sell it cheaper. Whereas if you didn't, you're going to have to, uh, raise your price. And that's why you tend to see some of these stations that are, you know, very low. They may have uh, they may have bought the leftover, so to speak, and they also may have bought their gasoline a few days ago when it was priced much lower. So I'm buying secondhand gas is what you're telling me when I go down to my, ga- my Sam's Club. <laughs> that- it's all firsthand gas. It's coming from <laughs> generally the same source. You don't have to worry about that, but they get a better deal on it because, you know, once it- it's generally sold on the open market and, you know, it's anyone at it can have it. So it- it's more competitive, you could say. Well, at least finally for me, I still think it's a national crisis. All right, that might be a little bit strong to say a national crisis, but I still think it, I, I get really bugged that the guy before me at the pump has, has is making me pay for a hose full of low-test gas at high-gas <laughs> test price. Because here's the thing. I have to put the high-test gas in my, my Chevy Volt, right? And so I have to clear out, when this guy's buying regular gas, I have to clear out a hose full of the regular gas before the higher grade gas gets into my car. Now, I guess I'm paying it forward because the next Yahoo behind me is getting my hose full of higher test gas when he's paying for lower test gas. (laughs) Well, you know, the other interesting part is... Uh, that gasoline coming out has to average the octane that that it's advertised. So if your octane, depending on where you are in Colorado, some of it's 91, some of them may be more or less, what you're pumping has to average that octane. So generally what's being put into those storage tanks is just a little bit higher than that octane to balance that factor out. Yeah, it's still that that still is one of my biggest things. I don't I don't you know, I don't care about what they're pumping in the tank. I just want to be pumping what's in my tank. That's that's what I want. All right. I don't want So you look, you look for the stations with the three hoses then, right? Exactly. No, I, I but we understand that there's basically two tanks, one with the lowest, one with the highest and they blend it for the middle, but I still have to put the highest test in in my little Chevy Volt. Well, hopefully it's not that much more because here in Chicago, some of that premium runs a dollar thirty more per gallon than oh, regular. Oh man! And, you know, in the same way with diesel, we see a lot of the diesel prices also pretty high. That's right. Diesel is certainly not getting any breaks, and it could get even worse with diesel. If you have a truck, 
you know, due to some uh, due to some international maritime organization changes, ships are going to essentially be forced to use the same thing that the trucks do, and so that is going to push diesel prices up in the future. Oh, does that mean that my cruise prices, when I go on my luxurious cruises, are going to be costing more? <laughs> Well, probably not. You know, uh, passenger cruises are probably a little bit different than some of these large crude carriers that haul all sorts of cargo that, you know, they use some of the lower bunker fuels. But it, it certainly could. It's certainly pricey to retrofit a lot of these ships to meet these new 2020 regulations. Finally, for me, Patrick, we're talking to Patrick DeHaan, the head of petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy, is that when um, we see uh, there's a lot of talk about raising the gas tax here in Colorado, especially. Mm-hmm. And, and we've also heard some talk about even raising the national gas tax to help pay for infrastructure improvements here in the next year or two. What do you think that would do to consumer sentiment uh, uh, about not only how much they're paying for gas, but also the infrastructure improvements that we would that we would get out of it? Well, any tax increased tax on gasoline is very unpopular, which is why federally it hasn't been touched in decades since the 90s. Uh, same thing with states. It's been very difficult for states to increase gasoline taxes. Some of the smarter states uh, have been increasing taxes, but in future increases are automatically priced in based on inflation. So I think it's going to happen. I mean, the cost of construction has soared in the last 20 years, and some states Uh, For example, Ohio is talking about raising taxes 20 cents a gallon because they haven't been touched since uh, the same time federal gas tax has been touched back in the 90s. So there's going to be catching up. Some states have more catching up to do, but let's look at it this way. Roads and bridges are not free, unfortunately. And as much as I hate to pay higher gas prices, uh, I also don't want to drive on dirt roads. (laughs) <laughs> that's a yes. that's a very good point. We've seen that actually happen in some cities where they've had to tear up their paved roads because they don't have the money to keep them paved and fix the potholes. So they've gone back to dirt roads because it's cheaper for them to maintain. Pretty sad. That's right. So, that's Patrick, right. Patrick, thank you so much for being here on the World Famous Driving Your Crazy podcast. We appreciate your time and your uh, insight today. My pleasure. Well, that was fascinating. I um I I don't I don't think he was was in the whole gas hose problem that I no. experienced. I don't think he's... But he did have a solid solution for you, which is go to a place with three hoses, and that way you know you're not getting somebody's low gas because they're only pumping the high gas through the high gas hose. Right. And that, But I don't know that many of those uh, gas stations that are actually doing that here around where I live, maybe I will have to just go find out all the three hose stations. And you know what? Gas Buddy should add that to their website. A little right. delineation saying this place offers separate hoses so you know you're not getting hosed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Well, switching topics a bit here, Joseph, one of the best things about new cars are all the advanced safety features that are built into them. But because all the car companies have to have some kind of fancy marketing name that they come up with these gimmicks to, to call all their safety gadgets something. Well, we, the consumers, actually have no idea what all this stuff is and what the heck they're trying to talk about. So AAA looked into all of this, and we wanted to know more about what they found out and, and how we can sort it all out. So we invited Skylar McKinley from AAA Colorado to talk more about it. Skylar, welcome back to the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me. So, Skylar, why isn't there any standardization to all these new high-tech and safety features in these newer cars? Well, I think you're exactly right, and it kind of points to a divide in the automotive industry. Safety features used to be safety features, right? We called seatbelts seatbelts because everybody wanted to have that safety feature, 
Now these safety features are also being involved to market how advanced these cars are, that if you're paying the extra price for this technology, you're getting the best technology. And that's why there's, you know, 40 different names for automatic emergency braking, which, by the way, even in it of itself, is kind of a misnomer because it's just all getting lost to marketing speed. Yeah, and you have 20 names for cruise control and, like you said, 40 names for emergency braking. So what, what keeps all these brands from coming together in a universal sort of way to just pick one name for something as simple as just cruise control or emergency brakes and just sticking with it? Yeah, my favorite one is that there is something like 18 unique names for the high beams that switch on automatically when needed. Um, listen, really what it comes down to is every brand, every automaker thinks that they can have a competitive advantage if they call their specific tool, you know, dynamic, or if they incorporate their brand name. What's interesting is that it's not just the car makers, though. It's even some of the car regulators, um, NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. They've all used different names as well in their studies of these. That's kind of why we released this report, though, because we really think there should be uniformity here. And this shouldn't be that complex. We've all agreed to call seatbelts seatbelts. Let's all call, you know, automatic emergency braking something in common. Because it seems that not knowing what something is called from car to car to car could be a problem from, let's say, me. I'm getting into my Chevy, and then I, I have to go drive my wife's car, which is a Nissan, and they're calling the same features different things, and now I, I don't know what, what they have at all. Yeah, that's exactly right, especially if you're one of those drivers who relies on this technology to inform how you drive. A good one is something like a blind spot warning indicator. Um, those are located in different places on cars, but sometimes you have to turn them on even when you get in the car, um, and it might go by a different name. That's a safety feature that's one of the best out there because it, it gives you more information as a driver. So if you're used to having that information and suddenly you switch cars and you don't know where to go about getting it, that can, that can be frustrating and dangerous. That's not the only problem, though. There's also this aspect of, you know, a lot of automakers are calling their technology something like autopilot. And so consumers think, oh, this is a self-driving car. But that's absolutely not true. And, and why call something autopilot if it doesn't autopilot the car? Well, so, Skyler, what's the, like, the most egregious naming wrong that you've seen with some of this technology? Or, and a follow-up to that, what's the most useless piece of technology you've seen on one of these vehicles? Yeah, I would say that that autopilot issue, and there's every four of the main automakers, um, and I'm not going to call out names, have something that suggests there's a, an autopilot feature. One of them even calls it autopilot, um, when really that's just a, an automatic emergency braking system, for the most part, combined with some other features. But it's not a full autopilot. You know, we did a survey a few months ago that said like 40% of Americans think that autopilot means you have a self-driving car. So imagine sitting in traffic, you see a button that says autopilot, and you hit it. That's not going to lead to good consequences. Um, when it comes to, you know, most of the technology actually is pretty useful now. Um, we're getting to the point where as much as they're marketing, they're also at least putting a lot into R&D. Um, what's interesting is the number of different approaches and different names for, like, driver monitoring. monitoring. And this is why I don't know why there would be different names. Like, why call this dynamic driver, mod you know, uh, awareness or anything like that? This basically makes sure that you're not nodding off. And if you're nodding off, it signals bells and whistles, or if you're clearly distracted, it, it tries to bring you back into driving. That's a great piece of technology, but it's being called all the, like, 13 different names that really mask how simple and important this tool is. We're talking to Skylar McKinley. He's the Director of Public Relations and Government Affairs for AAA Colorado. So is there any hope that in the future, 
we will have some kind of standardization here? Is there some kind of a meeting that's eventually going to happen where all these people are coming together? Or maybe the there's going to be some senator out there that says, all right, this madness has to stop, and we need to come together and, and come up with names for all these different things, one standard name? You know, I never have much faith in government uh, to solve these sort of problems. But what I can say is probably the consumers will. At a certain point, enough of this technology is going to be standard that you can't really market that yours is better than some other one. And that's where consumer groups like mine are going to keep coming out and say, well, this technology behaves better than this one, better than this one. Where you might see government action is not necessarily in naming, but in requirements, which is if you're saying you have, you know, a, a, a semi-automated parking assistance system, which a lot of vehicles do, the government might be able to step in, regulators might be able to say, if you're claiming to have that, here's what that needs to be able to do. That's not going to be so key as part of like a, a driver assistance systems, but as driver assistance paves the way for autonomous vehicles, that's where I see regulators stepping in. And then I think eventually we'll have uniform naming. Got a couple more questions for you here, um, Skyler. By the way... You also sent out a bit of news that made the rounds yesterday uh, talking about cold weather and how it affects the battery range of all the electric vehicles. I, I've known that having my electric vehicle, well, I guess, you know, electric volt, um, that the battery range does decrease a lot. I think the people that own these vehicles, they realize that it's just everybody else who hasn't had one of these vehicles doesn't know how the, how the weather can really affect the battery range. Yeah, and I think that when you probably bought your electric car, semi-electric, you knew that it was at the cutting edge of the technology. Um, more and, and, and most of the people I, I've talked to who drive EVs knew that they're early adopters. The problem, again, is the marketers who are sitting down now and marketing electric vehicles as if they're identical to internal combustion. They're superior in many ways, but they have some drawbacks, including this cold weather issue. So, you know, I, I see a commercial for an electric car. There's not a bunch of warnings um, that says, well, this is range-reduced in your area. This might only be good if you live in California. Um, and, and so consumers are going in thinking they're informed consumers, when in reality, there's a lot of homework you have to do before you buy an electric vehicle. And there's a lot of people that I don't think are used to, on a daily basis, charging up their car. Because with the regular cars that they are used to driving they would fill up once a week all of a sudden they would see their gas as a quarter tank or maybe a little bit less and then they go to the gas station that's they're passing and go well i guess i might as well get gas right now spend three or four minutes at the pump and then off they go and they're good for another week if you have when you have the electric car it, it there's more of a thought process that has to go into i have to fuel this thing up just about every day depending on the range i know the teslas have a lot longer range in, in most cases but for, for a Volt, for like me, if my Volt is a full charge, that's 45 miles on the perfect temperature day. On the on the Bolt, that's, I think, about 65 or 70 miles uh, on a perfect temperature day. So I don't think people are in the mindset that they have to fuel up every day or they're going to be dead in the water. Yeah, exactly. It's about modifying your behavior because you've got this new technology. We do that all the time with technology. Um, but people are, are so used to that internal combustion model where you just fill up when you need it. I think what's really interesting is that we've seen great strides year over year with this. Um, the automakers know that they're improving it. The range is extending. Um, for a lot of folks, exactly, 40 miles, that actually covers most people's commutes. But it's when people are planning a longer day, they think, oh, well, maybe the electric vehicle isn't the car for me yet. But as the infrastructure builds out and as the technology gets better, 
eventually we're going to arrive to this world that the marketers have us believing we already live in, which is that EVs are just like regular regular vehicles. Yeah, it's really a problem that I just laugh at as I cruise down Broadway in my Volt because the generator will kick on if it needs to kick on, and I can keep on going for as long as I want to go. If I want to drive to Vegas right now, I just keep filling up the thing with gas. It's always powered by electric, by the battery, but I have that gas generator in there that will keep going. So no range anxiety for me. But I'm sure as technology gets better and better, you might have range uh, on some of these batteries at 500, 600, 800 miles. Yeah, exactly. And, and Tesla's pushing the limits on that. But so are the consumer-level cars, your Bolts, your Leafs. Um, they're all marching to the same path. I, I want to stress that there's only about 2% of new car sales in Colorado are electric vehicles. And a lot of that's because of range anxiety. But once you have more people buying vehicles, you'll have more investments in charging stations. And you'll have continued focus on having charge stations be quick charge stations. Skylar McKinley, the Director of Public Relations and Government Affairs for AAA Colorado. Thanks again for uh, being here. We appreciate your time. Yeah, talk to you soon. Keep your car charged for me. <laughs> I certainly will. And I'll keep this, the, the seat heater also on for you, when you <laughs> so you can have a nice toasty backside. <laughs> Thanks again, Skylar. Yep. Take care. You too. I, I don't think he liked the toasty backside no 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 no. maybe he wants a toasty backside lord maybe he doesn't i don't know do you think he wants a toasty backside when it's cold outside when it's cold outside he wants everybody that's here you go that's maybe that's the uh the name of the maybe that's the name of this uh, podcast (laughs) when it's cold outside you need a toasty backside amen so here's your latest headline ready pedestrian crossing the street make sure to look at approaching cars so driver will feel more guilty if they run him over (laughs) <laughs> I know this okay. is an onion story, but yes, like that is the only that is the only thing that I do to approach in cars is glare at them. Dateline Chicago, stepping off the curb and into the crosswalk, local man Adam Hartzell reportedly made sure to look up at the driver of an approaching vehicle to ensure they would feel extra guilty in the event they had failed to stop and ran him over. The goal of this split-second eye contact is to impress my image on their mind so that if they do hit me, they will be forced to spend the rest of their days picturing the terrified face of the person they ran over in his last moments of life, said the 26-year-old pedestrian, who emphasized the importance of not only locking eyes with each and every oncoming driver, but also delivering a hard stare that conveys a stern moral appraisal of any who would not break their vehicle in time. In this way, I will be able to haunt their dreams long after they've struck and killed me. If I have enough time, I also make sure to look any passengers dead in the eye so that they, too, will be hounded for years by debilitating remorse. At press time, reports confirmed the oncoming driver had looked up from their phone screen and briefly wondered what the muffled noise coming from beneath the car had been. <laughs> also true. Because it just also shows true. you. Because the guy is supposedly walking across the crosswalk, staring at the driver who's he thinks maybe paying attention to the pedestrian when he's really not. And he's staring actually at his phone, the driver is, and then runs over the pedestrian anyway because he's too busy checking out his phone to see anything else that's on the road. I mean, that's why you stare, though. There's utility in the stare. Because yeah, there I is, can but tell if they're not looking, I, I am still young enough where I can get out of the way. There right? is utility in the stare only if the stare is seen by the driver, which most likely isn't seen. False. Not, not true. Even if the driver doesn't see me, I can at least tell if the driver is paying attention or if they're not paying attention. 
I don't know. The driver just won't see you because they're just always too busy looking at their phone. But I can get out of the way, man. It's only a car. Always. Like you can di- you can dodge the car if you if you have enough of a warning. Well, by yeah, looking sure. At the you driver. are the pedestrian, sure. If you're just staring it down, but I don't think the driver really gives two flips. Well, then that's just it. But that, that thus why pedestrians need advocates because drivers don't care, man. Like they they're not worried about whether the pedestrian has the right of way or whether no. the pedestrian is safe in the crosswalk. No, they're not. Or whether they've pulled their damn SUV all the way over the crosswalk, so now I have to walk outside of the crosswalk to get across the Now, street. I do have a problem with that sometimes, because I always mind the crosswalk. I'm very conscious about that. However, there are some spots where I can't see to make the right or left turn onto another street without getting a little bit into the crosswalk because I can't see past the cars that are blocking that view. But pedestrians know there's an exception for that, right? That's the right-hand turn exception. But they, but if you're in the middle lane and you're doing that, I'm going to slap your hood. Right. Oh, I'm going to slap you? your hood. Yeah, that's, that's you, my thing. You, how many sla- hoods have you slapped? I have now slapped more than a dozen hoods. Really? And it gets people's attention. I don't think anybody understands why I'm doing it. Do you know you live here in Colorado where people are killing other people for just, you know, whatever reason they want to? Yeah. Yeah, are you going to be okay? I mean, we'll honestly, see. we had you know one guy shot uh, the XCU player who uh, was shot because of an argument over a parking space at their house. I, I I'm I'm worried for your safety. R.I.P.T.J. Cunningham. That's yes. all I'm going to say about that. I'm worried about you. <laughs> I'll be okay, Jason. Are you sure? I can handle myself. Look, I am a father, and I and I am a father figure to some. Uh, maybe not you. I'm a lot. Oh, I could probably you, be your father. You I'm old enough to do are, that. Yes. So I, 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 you know, I just as a father, I worry about the people in my life, and and you are one of those people. Thank you. So. I mean, I, I, I applaud your hood slapping because it's probably something I would do, too. It does too. seem like something you would do, yeah. However, there's uh, inherent risks with the old hood slap. Slap the right hood. Slap. <laughs> okay. Slapping the right hood. Okay. Well, that's a beautiful show. Thanks to uh, all the guests that appeared here on the program. Uh, brought to you by us and us.com. Um, really, we just, you know. And I, I've been working on the, uh, the you, you sent me a, a thing about the Bam Brogan. I, I, we have, I have a whole thing about Bam Brogan for next week. Brogan, Bam Brogan. Um, and I, I've done some research on him. I'm still trying to get him on the show. I've sent some emails and calls, but. Brogan, don't be a coward, man. Show your face and show your face to somebody specifically the Driving You Crazy podcast. Well, thanks again for being here. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I am uh, Hood Slapper, Joseph Peters. <laughs> hood Slap Advocate, yes, Joseph sir. Peters. <laughs> again, be safe and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>